Embrace the sports perspective. Broadcasting live on Facebook, made available through NBS Central. Welcome to Larson Live. This is the Sports Perspective with Larson. Glad to be here. Thank you for joining me. This is Larson Live, and I am your host, Michael Larson. Live on the NBS Central Network, nothing but Sports Central Network. Go to the YouTube page, follow, like, and subscribe, share it as well. Spotify, we're getting our shows on there now. Uh, that will be where our full shows are in podcast form. All of the podcasts, NBS Central, nothing but Sports Central. Follow that, like it, subscribe, and share as well. And we're blessed. I want to thank you for joining me again. This is The Sports Perspective with Larson. Um, I'm on Facebook, and uh, we're just getting better every week. I wanted to start off this show with, uh, I, I've, been, uh, I've been neglecting political topics a little bit throughout um, the last couple of weeks. I haven't been talking as much about uh, social and racial justice, uh, class fighting, um, class conflict. Uh, haven't been talking about that as much. Uh, police brutality, criminal justice reform. Um, those are the things that I've neglected a little bit. And uh, recently, another popular um, event happened because of um, uh, another killing. Another killing that was um, brought to the attention of the world through the media. Um, that they wanted to make known, whether it's to cause conflict or to bring change. Um, it still remains to be seen. I know what I'm fighting for, what I want. I know what the good side wants. But there are some that see where it seems conflict is the only, the only agenda. Um, one of the, one of the things that is being said is uh, where are the protests for this boy that was killed? Where are the protests for this 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 boy? Um, a young, uh, I think he was five five years old, um, killed, murdered by a criminal, um, and uh, where they're asking where are the protests for Cannon Hinnant? Where are the protests for him? And the answer is. There's no need for a protest for this specific kid. Why? Well, did they catch who did it? Yes. Did they arrest and charge him? Yes. Is he going to jail? Is he going to prison? For the rest of his life, most likely. So what is there to protest about? Now, this is the thing. There is something to protest about. Um, and that's a uh, criminal justice reform. I don't know what this guy's record is. I don't know if he's a first time offender, but 
it would be it'd be a little odd for a first time offender to go out and kill a five year old kid. Um, but it, you know, it, it could happen. Regardless, the things that are being protested about by Black Lives Matter, which is criminal justice reform, police brutality, um, helping the the Black community, the things that are being protested about would prevent something like this from happening. If criminal justice, if the criminal justice system was good, was a good system, we might not have murderers killing five-year-old kids, repeat offenders. We, if the black community was, uh, was, uh, was helped out more regarding education, regarding uh, just, just regular lifestyle, getting drugs out of that community. The, 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 lives, the lives would be better for the entire world, for the, for the entire country, because there'd be less criminal activity. And that is what is being protested by Black Lives Matter. So yes, we are protesting for this kid. We are protesting for him. That's all it is. Just want to start out with that. Um, the killers of Breonna Taylor have not been charged yet. Uh, that's a problem, you know. Murders are murders. Oh, that's all it is. Uh, I'll continue to educate myself. Um, I will continue to educate myself through the next weeks, through the rest of my life, um, and I'll just uh, continue to get better. And I want to. And this is my platform to. Uh, inform everybody with this kind of stuff. Um, I dabble in politics, I dabble in real life, but this is the sports perspective with Larson. So we got to talk sports. NBA playoffs started. Woohoo! God, it's been, you know, this, the, the NBA bubble has just been a beacon of light. It's been a beacon of light for uh, um, for this year, for this uh, awful 2020 year. So we'll talk a little NBA playoffs um, real quick. Um, there were a couple games today that I wanted to recap. Um, and then uh, my special guest, Matthew DiBiase, will be on um, in about 10, 15 minutes. Um, we'll uh, get to talk to him and hear about his journey, writing three books, three novels, um, biographies, basically, the research novels. Um, he ranked hockey managers, uh, hockey, hockey general managers, the greatest of all time. He ranked the greatest NHL coaches, bench managers, bench coaches of all time. Um, and also Lords of the Gridiron, his latest book, ranked the 50 greatest NFL, or uh, excuse me, college football head coaches. And there's no doubt, some great research in those books. Lords of Gridiron, I mean, I have some issues with it. I have a couple issues with it, but we'll be sure to talk to Mr. DiBiase when he's on, coming up. But first, NBA basketball, let's get a couple games out the way here. Uh, great, great game. Great opening game to start this uh, to start this playoffs. Um, the uh, Utah Jazz and the Denver Nuggets went at it today. 
um, they went at it and it was, uh, it was, it was awesome. It was some great, it was some great basketball. Donovan Mitchell went for 57 points, the third most in NBA playoff history. The only other ones to get that were Michael Jordan with 63 and Elgin Baylor with 61. So third most of all time, but his ended in a loss. Um, very unfortunate for him. He put a, a, a great effort out there, but he's missing one piece. Uh, he's missing uh, Bogdanovich, his shooting guard, guy that is a knockdown three-point shooter, um, another weapon for them. Um, and uh, they're, they're missing that scoring punch for sure. This is a team that was... Can't was, wait uh, to tell everyone about it. Um, one of the best uh, three-point shooting teams in the league. Um, and they... Uh, um, and uh, they're missing him. They're missing him. They're not the best three-point shooting team in the in the in the league right now because of the fact that they're missing Bogdanovich. Uh, but they, they were earlier this year. Joe Ingles is doing his part, hitting threes. But um, they they miss him, and uh, that's why they're going to lose the series. They are going to lose the series. It'll be a, it'll still be a tough matchup. I expect the Jazz to uh, get a couple games. Um, let me pull up this. Uh, um, let me pull up our NBS predictions. Uh, we had uh, we made sure to get our predictions out before the playoffs started today, um, and uh, we, uh, we 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 got our predictions out there for everybody to see. Um, the uh, um, this is going to be a good series. It'll be a very close one. It might be the best series of the first round. Um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be real fun, um, and uh, I can't I can't wait for that one. Um, so let me get this out. Uh, I'd like to get this share screen a little bit better when I, uh, um, I'd like to get this share screen better. You know, I'm using Zoom meetings and the, the, the sharing of images isn't as, uh, as ideal as it, um, as it could be. I got to do a little bit more research on it. So let me just uh, go ahead and share this and uh, uh, figure out how to do it a little bit better eventually. But these are our NBS Central Network. NBA playoffs, first round predictions. You got True X, the sports junkie, copying uh, uh, my my picks. If you can see, you know we got a little differential in uh, in games, but we have the same exact teams. Um, Keo did confirm. Uh, Keo Keo is our uh, graphic designer. Uh, he handles everything. He he is the MVP of the NBA Central Network, and he did confirm. So you can trust him. Uh, you he did confirm that True X, the sports junkie, texted him and asked him what my picks were before he gave his picks. And uh, in, in return, he decided to pick every single team. I just switched up the games a little bit. So uh, kudos to Truex Sports Junkie for doing that. Um, uh, I, I'm sure that we'll have a very similar second round and uh, um, playoff predictions the rest of the season because, you know, I, I am the best at what I do. So um, he's got he's to piggyback off of that. Um, the uh, uh, Just Justin will be on tomorrow with, with the Nothing But Sports show. Um, he decided to pick the Pacers over the Heat, which is uh, he's the only one to do that. So I'm sure he'll be explaining that. That'll be uh, 10 o'clock Central time. Make sure you check that out. Of course, PM, 10 Central, PM, late night show um, on the NBS Central Network. Uh, make sure you check that out on Facebook Live. Um, that'll be on Spotify and, and YouTube, of course, once uh, the uh, week goes on. And then, of course, Jay Franchise, uh, he is one of, uh, he and uh, Keel have very similar picks. It looks like the exa same exact picks, Jazz and the Thunder. They are, uh, they, they're picking those two teams um, instead of the, uh, instead of the Rockets and the um, Nuggets. 
I would really like to hear that. Uh, um, and uh, unfortunately, he won't be on the Nothing But Sports show tomorrow, but Keo will be on Let's Talk About It today uh, with True Exit Sports Junkie after my show, um, and they'll be able to explain their picks as well. Um, here are mine, obviously, like I said, same as True Exit Sports Junkie, because he could piggyback off of it. But uh, I got Lakers in six. A lot of people are thinking that the, uh, you know, we, we got a little backlash on that because uh, uh, we got a little backlash on that, giving the Portland Trailblazers two and three games. And some people think it's just going to be a straight sweep, five games, four games. Um, I am a big fan of Damian Lillard, and I know that the Lakers can't guard him or their backcourt. Gary Trent Jr., uh, uh, CJ McCollum, Damian Lillard, they're going to have field days against this, uh, against these, uh, Lake, uh, Lake, against this Lakers backcourt. Um, you know, we're going to see 70, 80 points from, uh, from those three combined. Um, and, uh, the Lakers are going to have to uh, come back with, uh, with Anthony Davis and, uh, LeBron James standing up in there, uh, with their pick and roll game, which the Blazers won't be able to guard. The Rockets, once Russell Westbrook comes back, um, which I think he should come back. If he doesn't come back, then this is different. But I'm assuming that he's going to come back, uh, which is why I think the Rockets are going to struggle a little bit. The Thunder will come out to an early lead. Um, they, they'll probably win this first game. But the Rockets, I expect to win in seven games once Russell Westbrook gets back and gets comfortable. Denver Nuggets are loaded on offense. Uh, they're, they're deep. It'll be high-scoring games between those two teams. The Jazz will come out with a couple. Uh, they have a great defender, Rudy, Rudy Gobert, that was able to um, make things difficult for Jokic today. Uh, but the Nuggets just have too much offensive power with Michael Porter, Jamal Murray, and Jokic. And those guys are getting chemistry together. It's very scary. If they learn to defend, they'll be a very good team in the next 10 years, with, with it, with, over the next 5, 10 years. Uh, Clippers, probably the best team in, this, uh, in, the, fi in, the, in the NBA right now, uh, and the Bucks as well, also top two. Um, and then you got the Heat, uh, scrappy team, young core, um, tough defensive-minded team. Uh, they'll they'll get it out against the Pacers. I expect it to go be a very good series as well, though, back and forth. Um, and then the Celtics and Raptors. I expect those teams to wrap up their series fairly easily, um, and then we'll go on to the second round after that. Um, uh, Damian Lillard won the uh, won won bubble MVP, which is definitely deserved. Um, the uh, um, Devin Booker uh, could have gotten that as well, but he didn't. He wasn't able to make it to the playoffs, um, you know. But they went at eight no. He did his part. Uh, you can definitely see the case on giving him MVP. Uh, I don't think T.J. Warren should have gotten first team. He had a couple bad games. He was hot for a couple games, but he wasn't as consistent as Giannis. And I think Giannis should have gotten that. Uh, but everybody else was definitely well deserved. Um, uh, I think it was Michael Porter. Uh, you know, it seemed like they tried to give uh, the, you know, for this NBA bubble first team awards, they kind of tried to give it to people that uh, weren't used, you know, some new faces. Booker, um, obviously well-deserved Warren. He, he had a nice little jump, so they got him in. Um, and then, uh, um, and then uh, uh, Michael Porter as well had some good games too. But I wouldn't say that he was worth first team. It is what it is. I don't vote for these things yet. And uh, people that do vote for this stuff are idiots. Anyway, uh, we'll be right back. I'm gonna do a couple messages here. Um, and uh, we're gonna bring on Mr. DiBiase. We're gonna talk uh, about his books. We're gonna talk about his life and uh, what he's done with us. Um, done, uh, the, you know, what, what he's presented us, what he's given us. Um, and uh, 
you know, I, I'm looking forward to speaking to him. Um, we'll be right back. This is uh, Larson Live, the NBS Central Network. We'll be right back. This is your boy, Just Justin, co-host of the number one show on the NBS Central, the Nothing But Sports Show, with co-host Mr. C, the Trendsetter. We discuss all the hottest topics of the week in sports. Check us out every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Central on the NBS Central Facebook page and check out our clips weekly on YouTube and Spotify. Don't miss out. What's good? What's good? What's good? This is your boy Truex, the sports junkie of the Let's Talk About It show, the Stardom Sit'em show, and of course, the Nothing But Sports show. And when I'm not on the panel, smashing J Franchise, Keo, and of course, my homie, Mr. Box Office, Yvonne, I'm tuned in to my boy, Mike Larson, on Larson Live. And we are back. Mr. Debit Yassi is on the line with us, um, promoting him to panelists, and he should be joining us shortly, turning on his camera, turning on his mic, and getting ready to, um, for this awesome interview. Um, Mr. DiBiase, you can join us when you are ready. Um, but just to give you guys a little spiel about Mr. DiBiase, he's, uh, he's written three books. Um, he has written, uh, Lords of Gridiron is his most recent one. Um, this was a, uh, um, top 50 ranking of, um, top 50 ranking of his, uh, of the college football's greatest coaches. Eight years of research he did on this. Bench Bosses was the NHL's coaching, uh, uh, the greatest uh, coaches on there. Um, and then uh, The Art of the Deal is the NHL's greatest managers, um, general managers. That's what he does. Uh, that's what he did. Um, so we'll wait on this. Uh, and uh, Mr. DiBiase is here. Yes, sir. Um, how's it going? Pretty good, Michael. Pretty good. Uh, thank you for having me on. It's a great honor and a privilege. Hey, thank you. It's an honor to, honor for me. And uh, from my understanding, it is your birthday today. Is, it not correct? is that not correct? Yeah, I just turned a big 5'7". Five, 5'7", seven. <laughs> five, seven, 57 years of wisdom. Uh, happy birthday, sir. Thank you thank for joining you. me on this uh, celebrated day. Thank um, you so much. Yeah, thank you. Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's introduce you to my audience, sir. Um, the, uh, the, the great Mr. DiBiase written three books. Uh, where did you grow up, sir? Where are you from? I was born and raised in Southern New Jersey. I was born in Camden Cooper hospital and I lived most of my life, you know, in Southern Jersey in Atco, New Jersey, uh, Delran, New Jersey, and then in Belmar, New Jersey in Camden County, right across from Philadelphia, it's basically the South Jersey area. Uh, however, eight years ago, I moved to uh, Phil, uh, Northeast Philadelphia, and I've been living there ever since. But mostly, I'm South Jersey, born and raised. Can't no, get it out of me. <laughs> no, sir. Uh, you've been in that tri-state area, then it seems, pretty much your entire life. Um, what are your teams? What teams are we rooting for uh, on in, on this side of the country? It's, it's always Philadelphia, so it's always been, you know, uh, Phillies, Eagles, Sixers, Flyers. Yes, hey, no Flyers. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, the uh, college teams. You obviously have a knowledge in college football, college ball. Um, did you root? Did you, have, did you have a school you rooting for? Penn State? Was it Penn? Uh, Pittsburgh? Um, I don't even. I don't know the other schools in that area. It was Penn State. Uh, my father loved Joe Paterno. I mean, yeah. we. I, I first became aware of Penn State football in um, 
72 and 73 with John Capaletti winning the, the Heisman Trophy. And my father always respected and admired Joe Paterno and all of that. So I always rooted for Penn State, but right now I'm not really mad and fanatical about you know, Penn State yeah. or any really particular program, but I respect those, those programs that, you know, do good work and all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the uh, Penn State is obviously one of the most historic teams out there, uh, colleges out there, and Joe Paterno, he is on one. Of, he is uh, ranked high on your list um, for uh, for Lords of Gridiron. Uh, when did you start writing, though? When you were uh, out in South Jersey, um, for, uh, I, I looked at the Amazon bio that you have on there. Uh, your mother presented you with a with a lot of books. Um, she uh, got you into reading. Yeah. Uh, looked like science fiction biographies, some military history. Um, what uh, what what got you into writing? Was it the reading? Well, yeah. I mean, I I came from a very bookish family. Both my mother and my father uh, loved books, so especially my mother. She was into sci-fi. She was very heavily into sci-fi. I was never into sci-fi myself. Mostly, I just loved histories, particularly military history, the Civil War, World War II, uh, Indian Wars, also sports history. I mean, I couldn't play sports worth a doggone, but like when I was 10 years old, I could recite all the World Series winners from 1903 up to 73 when I was 10 years old at the time. And I just kind of, it flourished from that, you know, then football history. I mean, I just... Love, you know, reading you know, about the great coaches, the great players, you know, basketball and then hockey. And it just kind of grew, grew and grew. And now when it comes to the writing, uh, I started writing when I was like 17 years old. So it's kind of ironic. 40 years ago, that's when I started my writing. First, it was mm -hmm. just poetry and song lyrics. And then when I got to college, uh, I became an op-ed columnist for my college newspaper. And that really expanded my the envelope of my writing potential. What did you write? What well, did you I, write on that? Oh, politics. So I would talk about, pol you know, back then it was like 87, 88. So it was like the 88 presidential election. I would do politics. I would do social commentary, you know, writing about Gary Hart scandals, the, the, yeah. the first Bush presidency, the campaign of 88. That's great. Uh, and, you know, a very social commentary. I remember I wrote this very well-received article on the late Malcolm X, you know, mm -hmm. that uh, got uh, rave reviews from people, not just oh, my student body, but also from uh, the African-American community in Camden and all that. Man, I would have loved to read that. I don't know if you can uh, tell in the background, um, but I do have a Malcolm X uh, um, tape. I have Malcolm X tapes um, on, uh, on my library set right back there. Um, yeah. I got a couple audio books from, uh, from my grandfather with the Walkman. Um, so uh, make sure you send that to me. I would definitely like to read that sometime. Um, okay. That's Thank very cool. Yes, Thanks. sir. Um, the uh, um, after 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 you were working on this newspaper, um, where did you go after that? Uh, basically, after I finished my graduate school studies, I got my my master's degree in '91. I got into my present job with the National Archives at Philadelphia, and I, I stopped writing prose. I, though once in a while, I might contribute a piece to a local newspaper, not a major one. It was like the Berlin and County Times or the Camden Courier Post. I never got published by the Philadelphia Inquirer. I was never a reporter. Uh, but mostly I was focusing like on my songwriting, you know, writing song lyrics, anything like that. Not that anything ever got uh, recorded or anything like that. It was just a little hobby of mine and all of that. Very cool. I was in like in the mid-2000s that I started working on an abortive book project that never saw the light of day. But 
the research I was doing, I converted that into material for my very first book, uh, Bench Bosses, the NHL's Coaching Elite, which came out five years ago in 2015, which dealt with uh, the 50 greatest NHL head coaches of all time, as determined by me using a rating system, which I personally devised. It was I got inspired by something that uh, baseball historian Bill James did in the mid-90s, where he identified the great baseball managers. And then another friend of mine sort of did the same thing with his book, The Pro-History Historical Abstract, where he listed the 50 greatest NFL head coaches of all time. And I thought, I, don't, I have this philosophy, Mike, I have this philosophy, history of borers of vacuum. And no one had ever done this for NHL hockey. So I decided, okay, I'm going to fill that vacuum. I'm going to be because that book, uh, Bench Bosses, was the first of its kind. And no one had ever done that before. Actually, rate, I mean, there are bios on hockey coaches, but no one ever attempted to rank, rate, rate, rate and rank who the real fit, top 50 were. So I was the first to do it. So that came out in 2015. And then two years later, I converted a series of articles I had written for an online magazine, Inside Hockey, where I talked about the 50 greatest NHL general managers. And someone, one of my colleagues, yeah, one of my colleagues said, "Why don't you make a book out of that?" So that's exactly what I did. In about two years, I just took those articles, fleshed them out, and also interviewed uh, a bunch of uh, NHL general managers like Doug Wilson at San Jose, Lou Lamarillo, who's now with the Islanders, Cliff Fletcher, who used to be with uh, works with the Maple Leafs, and you know a wide variety of other uh, general uh, like Dean Lombardi when he was doing the LA Kings before he got fired. You know, I. You know, um, Great interview, you know. I, uh, I am, uh, I'm very happy that I discovered these books too because my NHL history is not, it's, it's, probably, it's probably the lowest of all the sports. I, I do football, I do basketball, I do baseball. But hockey, I've only started to get into because of the Vegas Knights. Now I'm a fan of hockey. Now I like watching the Vegas Knights, but I don't know the history. So you giving us that, get, doing that, being the first person to do that is completely amazing. You, you did interviews with these guys. How did you land interviews? What did you do just... Call them, email? Uh, yeah, for the ones who are active, like you talk about Vegas, guess what? I interviewed George McPhee, the very first general manager of the Vegas Golden. Mm -hmm. Oh, he was very kind and helpful. Uh, awesome. It was a great interview. Uh, some of them were tickled pink that, oh, wow, someone's doing a thing like that. And, <laughs> Someone's going to recognize us. <laughs> yeah, because literally, like my NHL uh, head coach's book, this book, The Art of the Dealers, the NHL's Greatest General Managers, is the first of its kind. As far as I know, no one has ever done a book where you took the 50 best general managers of the four major North American sports, baseball, football, basketball, or, or hockey, mm -hmm. and actually rate and rank them. I mean, literally, it was groundbreaking. Yes, sir. And, I mean, imagine if someone tried to do that for Major League Baseball. I mean, comparing like Branch Rickey with like um, uh, George Weiss of the Yankees or like Joe Brown and the Pirates, you know, the, those old general managers. Who was better? Yes. I mean, I've never done it myself, but it would be curious to see if someone ever did that. And do you think you, uh, do you, think you could do that? Um, I mean, are you knowledgeable enough in baseball? You seem to be a very hockey buff, but. Um, I would be tempted. The thing is, I've got, I mean, Mike, I've got book projects that are going yeah. to the remainder of this decade. I mean, I am presently, you, you already talked about my third book, Lords of the Ground in College Football. It took eight years. Yeah, it took me eight years. Right now, I am presently working on the 50 greatest NFL head coaches. And okay. if I survive, if we all survive this this disease, the, the pandemic, and mm -hmm. they don't kill me off, I should be <laughs> September 2022. And I'm working on that. Then I want to 
follow up with Major League Baseball. I even want to do the 50 greatest NBA head coaches. Um, mm -hmm. I, I had something in the works, but I'm redoing the ra the, the rating system. So yeah, uh, sometime later this decade, hopefully around 2026, which will coincide with like the 80th anniversary of the NBA, uh, it'll come out. Because I interviewed be head coaches, Billy Cunningham, um, uh, Billy Cunningham, who are the coaches? Dick Mott I talked to. And a bunch of other uh, a bunch of other coaches that I was able to talk to. What uh, did you did you were you able to interview uh, college football um, coaches as well? Yes, yes. Who was your favorite? I, oh, my favorite. Oh, geez. Um, oh, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, no worries. My cell phone. You know, let's see. Bobby Bowden was a great interview. Um, uh, Steve Spurrier. Oh man, he was of yeah. uh, Florida. He was great. He had that real high pitch voice of him. <laughs> I bet that was entertaining. He was a very kind uh, Southern gentleman. Lou Holtz was very entertaining. Um, let's see who else. So Tom Osborne of Nebraska, very forthright. I mean, like a rock. You know, who's who, who's a the, who's the coach that you really wanted to interview, but you like? All right, so there. Give me give me the name of the coach that you really wanted to interview, and it just you know it was never a possibility and then give me a coach that you really want to interview that was a possibility but it just didn't fall it didn't come through i tried for barry switzer because i read his memoirs so someone should do a movie on his memoirs i mean considering his life someone ought to do a movie about it but i i talked to his wife she's she was the intermediary but he was he's constantly on the go he was in florida working on a documentary so he wasn't at his home and I had a very small window and the interview just fell through. I tried yeah. Saban, but Nick Saban is not one for talking, but I talked to Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer. Oh, okay. Just weeks, three weeks after he coached his last football game, the 2019 Rose Bowl, uh -huh. I interviewed him because he had just retired. You know, he was yeah. retired from coaching and he was very- Now he's got time. Yeah, he was forthright, um, very crisp, precise, intense, you know, uh, and I was very grateful because if you read my book, you see how high he ranks, you know, and yes. my pantheon and all that. Uh, let's see what else. Mac Brown, very kind. He was a very kind man, Mac, Mac Brown. Brown always seems right like now, cool coach uh, North Carolina, the Tar Heels there. Mm -hmm. um, and he's bringing them up now. Oh, I know. Jim Tressel, uh, who used to coach at Ohio State, who's now the president of Youngstown State University. Very kind, very forthcoming. Uh, I mean, very very informative. Were there, uh, were there any coaches that weren't as forthcoming? Um, let's they, see. Uh, they, they were a little tough to get stuff out of. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think here. No, they were pretty much tickle pick. I don't think I had any major league problems uh, at all. None that I recall. I mean, Bob was great. great. Um, uh, Fulmer of uh, Tennessee was great. Uh, uh, they were great. No one was really. The, the, on, the only problem was not being able to get Nick Saban. <laughs> Nobody yeah, gets Nick yeah, Saban. Yeah. He's very guarded. Like Bill Belichick, he's very, very guarded. And the whole world wants to talk to Nick Saban, but, you yeah. know, he doesn't really want to talk to the whole world. So, you know, <laughs> so there, right. you know. Quick thing, do you have uh, do you have some earbuds or anything, uh, AirPods that you might be able to put in? Um, I'm echoing a little bit on the on the. No, I don't have uh, any earbuds. I don't have any earpods, Sorry. No worries. No worries. Um, we'll uh, we'll work with what we got. Maybe yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Okay. Sorry. As yeah. long as you can hear me, that's all good. I hear um, you perfectly, Mike. Excellent, excellent. Uh, now let's talk about this rating system. You could get it. You could get it into. In a, you could use it for any sport. You don't need to know exactly like the 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 specifics of the sport because you don't really take into account 
innovation of coaches, you know, what they, what they, what they brought to the, you know, like John McKay uh, bringing, bringing the I formation into college football and utilizing a tailback, um, you know, a single, a single tailback instead of two different ones. Um, you know, like you, you didn't take into that. It, it was mostly just their records, uh, their, their accolades. Um, I mean, tell us about this rating system. Of course, uh, if I, I'm, I'm being short about it. Um, first of all, tell us about it. Uh, how you how you did it. it's it's a it's very detailed I know so I, I don't want to be I don't want to jumble it okay for lords of the great iron college football's greatest coaches I cry I wanted to create a system that eliminates subjectivity you, you have to create a system that is fair uh, no sectional bias no subjectivity uh, I mean you talk about okay innovations and all that but technically that's that is subjective when you think about mm -hmm. it but what I focus on is pure performance. It's basically on winning percentage. Like you, like if you had a season where your winning percentage is between uh, 501 to 549, uh, you only get a single point. Uh, whereas if you had an, an absolutely perfect season, you would get 14 points. And if you won the national championship, you would tack on an extra 15 points. And if you win a major bowl game, you tack on an extra 12. Yeah, that was, that was something that I was – really surprised about so losing a major or minor bowl game you got penalized more severely than if you had a one to two win season why well because in a sense it's a test you know this is it this is a big game this is this is literally a postseason thing mm -hmm. this is you know how do you perform on the big stage there and if you like Bo Schembechler he always kept losing big bowl games and and according to my system, that's why he ranks, you know, uh, 46th all time. Man, it was the bowl games. But those coaches who could win the big bowl games, like Joe Paterno, Bear Bryant, Urban yeah. Meyer, and Saban, you get rewarded for that because, hey, how do you perform in championship situations and big game situations? So, yeah, you get, if you can win the big bowl games, you get that little extra. But if you lose, then, hey, it's going to cost you. It's like Bobby Dodd, the great coach of Georgia Tech from the mid-40s to 1966. He was incredible. He could win major bowl games just like that. He was one of the best at it. I mean, six straight years in a row, he won major bowl games. I and mean, he's still the greatest coach in Georgia Tech uh, football history there, one of the greats. I interviewed tell me. players. Now, now, now tell me, if you – if you make a minor bowl game appearance, nine points. If you have a winning percentage of 650 to 699, uh, that's four points. And then if you lose that bowl game, it's minus 12 points. That means that, like, it's a it's a total acclimate, uh, a total a total of that, right? It's nine points plus the four points, and then subtract the 12 points. Right. I mean, it, it basically, let's see. You, what's the percentage again? You gave me 650 uh, or. 650, 650. Yeah, so let's see, one, two, three, four, you know, so that's 10 points right there, minor bowl game, that's 19 points right there, and you, what, you said you lose the game? Did you yes, say, and then you lose and the then minor bowl, bowl game? game? Okay, so you lose the minor bowl game, that's 10 points, so you're down, to, you basically it was a nine-point season, you know, so you okay. got you got penalized for that. That's fair, you know? that's fair, yeah. that yeah. is fair. Um, I, I, love, I, I really do like the system, and now that you say it, you know, now that we're going through the numbers and stuff, I, I kind of had a uh, feel of yeah. it, but yeah, it's extremely fair. I love that uh, LeBron James would get, uh, you know, if you did, did did this with players, LeBron James would get killed with all his uh, with all his NBA Finals losses. <laughs> yes. I love that. Hey, you know, 
And, you know, I'm kind of still working on that for my basketball thing. I mean, when it comes out, I want to be on your show. We can talk about the 50 greatest NBA coaches. And I'll make sure you get a copy of my book and all that. It would be an honor to send it to you and all that. But that's six years down the road, you know. Uh, but, yeah, uh, it just – it's but it has to be fair to all eras. So, and like, so like in my book, yeah. college football book, I didn't award points for winning a conference championship because um, – in the 19th century, we really didn't have the conferences that we have today. I mean, the Big Ten didn't be created till 1896. Uh, what is now the Pac-12 was born in 1916, but like SEC, ACC, uh, they were born in the 1930s. And, and various, and the other conferences that we know today came about like, you know, the 20s and the 30s. So those coaches who coached in the 19th century, because hey, the very first college football game took place in 1869, you know, they would, they would be penalized because they didn't have conferences, so they couldn't get those points. So it has to be fair. You see, a coach who coached in the 19th century has to have an equal chance of the coach who's coaching today. Right. So some things I couldn't put in and for that instance and all that. And like, that, yeah. that brings me to the era thing. My biggest gripe about this, I'm a Trojan fan. I'm a USC guy. Yeah. What is John McKay doing at 26? And you got Pete Carroll at 16, um, Bob Stoops up there, uh, Chris Peterson. He's never won a he's never won a national championship, and he's up at 21. How is McKay penalized so much? What was he penalized for? Well, it's not so much being penalized. It's that he was operating under a disadvantage. It wasn't until the 19, early 1970s that uh, in in the pack what is now the Pac-12, the only team that could get a bowl game appearance in the Pac-12 is the conference champion. Even if you had a good, if you finished in second place in the Pac-8, Pac-10, or Pac-12 thing, you couldn't get a bowl game. There weren't as many bowl games. Right, right. But even then, they were penalized. It was the same with the Big Ten as well. Only the Big Ten conference champion could get into the Rose Bowl. No other Big Ten team, regardless of how well they played, was allowed to play a bowl, another bowl game until like 72, 73, 74. That's when they finally allowed like the lesser teams in the Big Ten to play in other bowl games. So in a sense, that's why in my book, Big Ten coaches and Pac-12 coaches didn't really rank as high. Now, Pete Carroll, though, by the time he came along, you could appear in any old bowl game. And when I was looking up his records, he was always in a bowl game, either playing for the national championship or playing in Rose Bowls or playing in minor bowl games. Because you see, there's like over 40 bowl games today and anyone can get in. I mean, if you've got 40 bowl games, that's 80 teams, and you've got like 120-some Division I programs. So you basically like two-thirds of the entire Division I has got access to a bowl game, either major or minor. So that's why modern day, more modern-day coaches are, you know, in my top 50 than the old ones because it's just the pool is much bigger these days. Mm -hmm. Okay. That, may, that, that makes sense. So, But you could say that it favors uh, new era coaches a little bit more than uh, yeah. because, of, because of that. Um, yeah, because there are more bowl games, that's more opportunity to add points, you know, minor bowl game points or major bowl game points. But the thing is, though, if you're losing bowl games, though, that can cut you down. So exactly. those coaches who can win your postseason appearances, that helps you put points in the bank and that elevates you up higher and higher and higher. Very true. The uh, who did I see on there? Gary Patterson. Um, he uh, he's, he's made a few bowl games, but he's lost them as well, though. Yes. Um, that, that, that's dropped him. Yes. I mean, he's never, and also he's never competed in the college football playoff at all. No. And I mean, at TCU, 
I mean, the closest he came, I think, was like in 2009. He's like ranked third, but they only had BCS where they only took the top two. If they had had college football playoff back then, he would have gotten in. But Patterson, you know, he's had his ups and downs. He's had some lean seasons at TCU. That's why amongst the active coaches, he doesn't rank as high as like Peterson or, or Nick right. Saban as the others. You know, he's right. had, he had his knocks. He's had his I, rough knocks. Yeah, I put I put I've always put Patterson and Peterson in uh, in kind of the same category. Um, if they were at bigger schools, they would definitely have more success. Um, but uh, you're you're absolutely right. Gary Patterson has been a little bit less consistent than uh, than Peterson. Um, yeah, yeah, and Peterson did enormous, fantastic work at Boise State. He had a couple perfect oh, seasons man. there, and then he got in those two major bowl game appearances, which he won. He beat. Uh, let's say he beat uh, Patterson, TCU, and I think he yep. beat Bob Stoops and that other game. And that really have tacked on the points for him. Those were big moments for him. But sadly, when he went to Washington, he just couldn't you know, really get the same thing as he did at Boise State. You know, if Chris Peterson had won, had actually gotten the opportunity with those excellent Boise State teams, and uh, I have a, I have a, um, oh, sorry, he's Oregon, but he also roots for Boise State a little bit, uh, being in that area. Um, I know some Boise State fans, um, and so they've always they've always uh, disliked the fact that the BCS uh, screwed them. You know, they could they couldn't get in a championship because they were a small school or whatever. Even yeah. though this was probably the best team in in the nation. Yeah. Um, if Chris Peterson got those two championships, how far up is he getting up there? Is he in the top ten? Oh yeah, he probably would have gone high. Would have gone higher. I mean, look at Dabo Sweeney. I mean, yeah. Uh, he uh, the season before. Uh, 2017, I had him ranked 44th, and then uh, last previous, uh, well, not last season, but season before the 2018, he leapfrogged from 44 to uh, 15th in my book. And now, after 2019, he's gone even higher because I, I, I technically, I didn't update the book, but I, I do, I always oh, update my own ranking system. So he's very close. I think he's up to 12th now, and I don't know if they'll be able to play a whole season, but it'll be interesting to see if they can. You know, how much more can he crack the top 10? This year, uh, who knows? You know, honestly, your work is your, your work is marvelous, and the fact that you 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 stay consistent with it and update it throughout the years too, um, yeah. that's uh, it's great stuff. And um, yeah. just there's so many years left for you to for you for you to keep uh, keep updating it as well as uh, getting new school or uh, new new um, bases in there, especially with the NBA and NFL coming up for you. I am, I'm very I'm very excited for that. I can't wait to to see those because those are my those are my bigger sports. You you've done um you you've given me hockey and college football, which are my two weaker sports. Um, but once you do NBA and NFL, man, I'm I'm gonna be very excited for that one. Um, yeah, I'm gonna be even more excited. Yeah, I just hope we we can all stay alive and the country, <laughs> yeah. the country doesn't blow up or whatever oh, right now, or whatever. It looks dire right now, doesn't it? Um, yeah. you've, uh, I mean, you, you said you work in uh, the National Archives. The, I'm a National Archives. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I am a professional historian. I have worked for the National Archives at Philadelphia for 29 years. In fact, the last week was my 29th anniversary at my job. But I am a professional historian. Uh, I mean, I got my uh, bachelor's degree in world history at Rutgers Camden University in 86, and I got my master's in American history with museum studies in 1991. So I've always been uh, involved in history. When I travel, I love visiting battlefields, you know, historical oh, sites, famous, uh, historical homes, you know, and, and national parks and all of that, you know, both uh, here in America and abroad as well. Um, 
and I, I was also a political science minor. So, you know, I'm, I'm also a podcaster too. I do a weekly podcast where I interview mm -hmm. authors. But once in a while, like uh, Friday night, I was uh, interviewed by Ralph Tycho at the Comfortably Zone Network. And we just talked about the present day political campaign. And, you know, and sometimes I do get into politics. I mean, last year I was doing like, you know, political think pieces, you know, get, mm -hmm. just solo shot on my podcast you know, me articulating my views on the, you know, the current political landscape, you know, and the American, the, the American history that you've studied, um, when I, one of, one of the quotes by, uh, by Malcolm X that I've heard is, uh, and just every, many, many uh, um, popular figures in, in the past is that you got to look at history. History yeah. tells you everything. Yeah. Um, the ones that don't look at history are doomed to repeat it. Uh, we've heard these quotes before. Um, I mean, it's something that I want to study more is history. I have, uh, you know, I have books all over my, all over my house, all over that uh, I play that, that I need to read that I have been in the process of reading so I can get smarter um, in, uh, in, in historic events. Um, I mean, I, I, there's, I didn't prepare enough questions regarding this because I didn't know if we would get into this a little bit more. And we obviously, we only have 10 minutes left anyway. I mean, I could, you know, there's, there's, there's so much. I'm very interested in this stuff as well is what I, is basically what I'm telling you. Um, and yeah. uh, what, what, I mean, what have you, what are you seeing in this, in this year, 2020? It's an insane year. It's, it's an insane year. What are you seeing that compares to the past? I guess it's such, that's such a broad question, but what are you getting reminded of? 1860, literally America on the eve of the civil war. And I, I believe that we are on a precipice, and I think the heart and soul of this nation, literally our freedom, literally our democracy, the entire United States Constitution is hanging on the balance. Wow. I think we are on the precipice, the potential for violence, disintegration, perhaps even a real civil war. I mean, literally this country disintegrating on ideological lines and also the potential for even a race war. I yeah. think that potential is there because I believe that there are evil forces that are doing everything they can to provoke a race war, which yeah. would allow certain evil forces to overthrow constitutional government, democratic government, and create a a, perhaps a corporate fascist or even a fascist state where freedoms are destroyed, and even non-white people are placed in a state of subjugation. I'm, I, 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 this may be daring, and I, and I, I, I have this, this ominous feeling that there are some forces that want to create a 21st century version of apartheid in, Amer in America, as it was in South Africa from 48 to 1994. They're trying to create a modern-day apartheid. And I mean, the deliberate de deprivation of voting rights to not just African-Americans, but to all non-white peoples. Yeah, yeah. A subjugation, economic subjugation, legal uh, subjugation. You know, I mean, how did, how did uh, apartheid exist for 46 years in South Africa? How could 13, I think the white population was only 13 or 17% of the whole country. How did they do it simple? They denied all voting rights to every non-white person in the country and using fascistic methods and uh, brutal methods. Fascistic method, methods being 
what military uh, I mean, legislation, everything, right? Everything legislate. I mean, it took, you think Jim Crow was bad in America? The Afrikaners who created apartheid in South Africa created massive legislation that literally created this in massive segregation at every single conceivable level of human life in South Africa. Every aspect was tainted with segregate or with rabid segregationist laws that covered everything. And you I say mean, that was even worse than Jim Crow. Oh, even worse because uh, you know you've seen Mark, Mike. You've ever you've seen the uh, famous films where they use the fire hoses and the dogs yes. on yes. Martin Luther King at Birmingham yes. in '63, yes. right? Well, in South Africa, they used they would use uh, our APCs and machine guns. They're, they were just more brutal. Yeah, they, in 1960, there was a brutal massacre called Sharpville, which was a community where the, 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 the uh, Africans were doing a peaceful sit-down protest, like Martin Luther King, and they were told to leave. They refused to leave, so they brought up the military with their machine guns and their armored personnel carriers, and they, without warning, they mowed them down in cold blood. Oh, hundreds died in cold blood. Imagine that in Birmingham, they used machine guns instead of fire hoses. And they did it again in Soweto in 1976. I mean, that's what led to Stephen Biko being uh, bludgeoned to death in prison. So, so in the, the thing that popped in my head is that in America, we've always had the, it's the land of the free, it's the home of the brave, it's the idea of freedom. Yes. Um, in America, we have the right, we have, we have been given the right to protest peacefully, um, obviously, and, and and there have been unpeaceful protests as well, um, but we are we are given the right to protest without being mowed down by machine guns. That is part of the American uh, um, society. It's it's a freedom that we are given through the Constitution. Um, yes. You know, it's it's held in check by the public, um, yes. I believe, but we are still behind. We're still not. It's, it's difficult to be perfect, but we're still not completely free. The, the black community is still suffering. It's, and not just the black community, but the lower class community in general. Lower class whites are, um, are, are, are prevented from, uh, from being, uh, uh, being combined with the, with the black community so that they can get up, uh, get, you know, rise, up, get, the, get the opportunity. They don't have the same opportunities as middle class uh, uh, upper class, um, the uh, the the Native American community, the uh, um, Latino uh, commu community, the Hispanic community, uh, Asian American community as well. Um, they we have the opportunities, we have the opportunities to protest, but we're not there yet. And one of the things that I see from that is that the leaders, major leaders that have fought for this stuff, they're dead. They're dead. And they were, and they died early, yeah. and I'm I've always been afraid. Is that um, instead of machine gun fire, you know, mowing down the people protesting, is it silent killings? Um, is there a silent killer in uh, in, in America that is trying to keep um, things normal but keeping it from being in public knowledge? Do you see that? I do you see a pattern. Yeah, I do. I mean, what disturbs me about all these shootings, you know, Arnold Ar Aubrey, you know, George Floyd, um, uh, Breonna, Ta Breonna Taylor, and also, you know, uh, even the past killings of the past several years, the mentality that is, 
shoot first and ask questions later. Why, why is it that the first response is always pull out your gun and start shooting? Yeah. You know, if I got my hands up, you know, why, why are you shooting at me? Why, why do you see, if you're a police officer, why do you see me as the enemy? And your first thing says, shoot to kill. And, non and for a nonviolent crime as well. Yes, you know. yes, why? I mean, you yeah. see the videotapes on YouTube, the overreaction, uh, the, 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 that family, and I think it was in Aurora, Colorado, they, were, they, 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 had, they had the SWAT team pull around. It was a, a, a family, a husband and wife and little kids. And they got him spread eagle on the asphalt. I mean, what is going on here, man? I remember that. Yeah, it was for a That's traffic fine. stop. They were looking for a motorcycle. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, they were looking for a motorcycle too. It wasn't even a minivan. Like, what is going on here? I mean, what um, is going on here? And I sometimes I see this as deliberately provocative acts. In other words, someone is trying to pour gasoline on a fire or they've got a, there's a powder keg. There's a whole room filled with explosive powder. Someone's trying to throw a lit match. Someone's trying to create a conflagration as it were. Let, let give them the excuse to roll back, you know, African, uh, uh, a minority civil rights, legal rights, economic rights, all the pro progress that was made since 1954, repeal all that and put non-white America back into a state of legal subjugation, political subjugation, economic subjugation, uh, heck, even sexual subjugation. I mean, back yeah. then, I mean, you could not, you know, uh, you couldn't marry, uh, 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 you couldn't have uh, interracial marriage. It remember, it wasn't mm -hmm. 67 that the Supreme Court outlawed those laws that said you cannot have interracial marriage. And, right. you know, and you're also, you're seeing, you know, the fact that, you know, hey, there's, there's more interracial marriage today. There's far more racial intermingling, commingling, you know, union. Yeah. I mean, you see the category. There's a lot of mixture. I mean, what is the, I mix myself. Yes. What is the definition of race today? I mean, yeah. what is a white person and what is the, an African-American person? Or what in, is the, in, in, in my, in my, you know, like me, like if I'm, if I'm planted in the 1860s, I'm Native American. I'm Hispanic, I'm black, and I'm white. I know. You know what am I? I <laughs> like, what am I to them? Am I am I under am I under Jim Crow segregation? Like, what is going on here? Like, uh, you know, I I don't. I, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, and you know, Mike, in the South African sense, you know, it's your racial. They had racial classifications. Your racial classification would have been quote unquote colored, meaning a person yeah. of mixed race. I mean, you had white, you had colored people of mixed race. Then you had uh, Indian, and you also also you had um, uh, I think what was it? and and then purely black, which means that was uh, African or African. Term from it was called Bantu, but actually that's that's a pejorative term. But it was people of pure African, you know, purely black, you know, and all yeah. of that. I mean, technically, uh, Barack, President Obama would not have been seen as black. He would have been seen as quote unquote colored because he was a man of mixed race, as it were. Race, but you yeah. see, that's that's how disgusting apartheid was. They even had courts to determine your precise race. I mean, it, that's how utterly dehumanizing it is. And you're seeing the same dehumanization in America today, the overt racism, racist vigilantism. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, do you, I mean, it's shocking is how much it has increased uh, in the past three and a half years under the Trump presidency, the, the, the encouragement of racist vigilantism. Yeah, it, it definitely seems like it's grown over the, four, over, over the last four years. And it's going to get worse. I mean, if we, if God forbid, if he wins the election in November, 
I sh I am frightened because I'm fearful for what you talked about. I think the gloves. You think it's bad now. I think if he actually stays in, the gloves will come off. And I think I I this is going to sound crazy, but I've got a weird feeling that in the pro-Trump states. I think you're going to see those Republican governors and those Republican state legislatures start passing laws that try to restore segregation against. I mean, it might be a, a, in very, a, very subtle ways. Right, subtle right. Ways. I mean, they're going to try it. I think they're going to try for it. Some type of things because oh, we'll, we will see. see. I mean, I think you're, you're seeing we'll that. See. I mean, because I read something online that this Federalist Society that churns out all those super, super conservative judges, I read something that these, some of these lawyers that they're churning out refuse to consider Supreme Court decisions or federal laws that uh, ended segregation as sacrosanct. In other words, if they can get away with it, they would try to overturn those Supreme Court decisions that uh, ended segregation. In other words, restore segregation again. Yeah. And I believe it. I do believe it. And I think some, uh, if, if he wins re-election or he cheats and is able to hold on the presidency, I think you're going to see at the state level and local level, some type of overt segregationism, you know, and those states that are pro-Trump, you're going to see some type of a thing because you're seeing it right now, purging non-white voters from voting rolls, taking away polling places in yep. minority communities there. That yep. is a disparagement and deprivation of their constitutional rights, their voting rights and all of that. The weakening of the Voting Rights Act uh, that took place, which I consider utterly reprehensible and all of that. And I hope if the Democrats win and they take the Senate, I hope they can pass a Voting Rights Act, a 21st century version that really revamps it, put, brings it up to date here and ends this gerrymandering and helps non-white America get it, the equality, the voting equality that it, that it truly, truly needs to bring this country into the 21st century and combat this racism that is destroying us day by day by day. We are being destroyed, Mike. We yes, are being We're dying. We are dying. Mr. DiBiase, yeah. I want to thank you for all of that. Um, we got into college football, we got into hockey a little bit, and of course we got into politics from, uh, from a great mind that obviously has studied this stuff um, thoroughly. And uh, you're one of the few people that I know that knows this stuff thoroughly. Um, and I will, of course, continue to be in contact. Um, and, uh, and I hope to have you on my show, whether it's the near future um, or a couple years when uh, you finish your book. Um, I would definitely think uh, that I can find a place for you on my show to talk more about this stuff um, yes. in the near future, though. I would be honored, Mike. I would be greatly honored. And thank you from the bottom of my heart. Happy birthday, sir. Thank you again for coming on uh, to my show. May God bless and keep you always and be safe. God bless, sir. You too. Thank you. you too. Okay. Bye -bye. Um, the, uh, um, the great Mr. DiBiase, um, what, a, what, a, what an excellent interview. Um, what an excellent interview. Uh, great stuff from him, talking books, talking politics, talking sports. This is what the sports perspective with Larson is about. This is what Larson Live is. We talk sports, we talk and um, I absolutely, I, I just really enjoyed that stuff. Um, opinions, facts, uh, those are um, 
two completely different things. And he gave both. Uh, he gave he gave facts, uh, but he also gave some of his own opinions. Um, some that may not may not uh, may not be agreed with on um, that uh, many would not agree on. But he gave some facts that back those opinions up. Um, the the fear of the fear the fear that he feels I feel as well um, that many feel as well, um, which is why uh, this presidential election is so important. Every presidential election is important, though. Um, every single one, every election is important, and I think the world the the country is seeing this a lot more. There's it definitely seems there's a lot more advertisement for for voting than we've ever seen before. Get out there and vote. The Carolina Panthers today they sent a uh, they had a Twitter um, they had a tweet they uh, sent out a uh, they they put up uh, look at what Christian McCaffrey did uh, today in practice it's amazing and you click on the link it was a registration to vote. Great stuff, Carolina Panthers. That's some good stuff right there. You guys make sure you go vote. This has been the first hour of Larson Live on the NBS Central Network, the Nothing But Sports Central Network. We will be right back for the second hour of Larson Live. Hey, this your boy, Jay Franchise, part of the NBS Central crew, as well as one of the greatest sports analysts to ever bless the sports waves. I'm here to tell y'all, check out our latest show, NBS Central's Uncensored, where we give you the rawest and realest sports analysis to date. In addition to that, download the app NBS Central in the Google Play and Apple iTunes stores. Check it out now. Peace. This your boy, Just Justin, co-host of the number one show on the NBS Central, the Nothing But Sports Show, with co-host Mr. C, the Trendsetter. We discuss all the hottest topics of the week in sports. Check us out every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Central on the NBS Central Facebook page and check out our clips weekly on YouTube and Spotify. Don't miss out. What's good? This is Truex the Sports Junkie and you're now rocking with Mike Larson on Larson Live. Let's get it. Embrace the sports perspective. Live on Facebook, made available through NBS Central. Welcome to Larson Live. This is the Sports Perspective with Larson. Larson on the NBS Central Network, nothing but Sports Central. Make sure you check out the YouTube channel. Make sure you check out the Spotify podcast. What do you call that? A Spotify page podcast. Um, check it out. Check it out. Uh, uh, like, subscribe, and share. Make sure you do that. Um, 
coming up soon. We got NFL talk now. The second hour is reserved for Dryden Rachinsky. My NFL expert will we'll be breaking down the AFC South, AFC West. This is the Sports Perspective with Larson, and we're blessed. So we'll wait on him until he uh, joins us. Like I said, we'll be breaking down the AFC South, AFC West today. Last week, we did the NFC West, NFC South. We didn't, we didn't do complete predictions, though. He, uh, he provided me his, his scannings, his, uh, his records. I did not, and I failed to do that. Today, I will, uh, I got to make sure, I got to prepare a little bit better. I, I just got to prepare a little bit better. Sorry, folks. Um, I should be better at this, but I am uh, poor at the time management so far. Um, 23 years and I haven't figured out how to manage my time well. Uh, uh, write out your goals, write out your schedule. That's what you got to do. Um, you know, it's, it's laziness, you know, my, you got seven deadly sins out there, seven deadly sins and mine is sloth. That's all it is. Um, it's not greed. Uh, it's not, I don't know, wrath. It's definitely not wrath. I'm not an angry person. Um, some people like to say gluttony is one of mine, but I disagree. I don't think I'm that gluttonous. Um, but I'm definitely lazy. Such a pain. Everything is such a pain. Um, But I'm getting it. I'm getting it down, and uh, I got a great support supporting group. I really central team is awesome. We got the nothing but sports show. We have the uh, let's talk about it show, and now we got my expert Dryden Rachinsky on to talk NFL. What hey, a great hey. supporting team I have. What's going on, brother? How's it going, man? Where's the Seahawks polo? You know, I I take it out today. Uh, you know, I heard it was a little, little offensive for some of our uh, viewers. So, uh, uh, no, I'll, 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 I'll break it out when they win the Super Bowl this year. How about that? Hey, is that what's happening this year? We you know, didn't get to our Super Bowl predictions yet. You but, know, we'll, uh, we'll get to that later. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that in a few weeks for sure. Um, I was already, uh, yesterday I was talking with uh, Mr. Artis Keel and Dryden here, and uh, we were talking about the implications for the season um, and the possibilities for the Seahawks. Russell Wilson, MVP, is definitely not out of the question. Um, he has some weapons, you know, it is what it is. Dryden can definitely be on board with that. Oh, yeah, always. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fun to talk about. But, you know, we talked a lot about the AFC West last week, especially the Niners, uh, mm -hmm. Seahawks. You know, I think you're wanting to move on. Let's go to the other side, the AFC yes, West. Uh, I don't know if you want me to share my screen or if you are able to pull it up. Let's, let's try it. You can you can do your thing. Um, we're, we're, let's figure it out, folks. You know we're gonna do this live on air. Figure out the graphics and stuff because uh, okay. he has research that he wants to show us, uh, and I want to want you to see. Uh, we're trying to figure this out. We're uh, using different sites. Uh, the share screen feature of Zoom is a nice feature, but it's not perfect. Um, at least not for what I want. Uh, at, at least I don't know how to make it perfect yet. So, can you uh, uh, enable it for me, Mike? Where uh, you send it to my email? Or I send it to your, I send it to your email as well as just on Facebook. Uh, link. So you should um, be able to log in with the info I sent you. I'll send it to okay, you. Okay, okay. Um, 
Um, that was uh, let me let me let me try that login. I'll uh, check. You might the have to log in onto Gmail that. first and then do it. Yeah. Oh, so I have to log into your Gmail account. So for it, that. Sh I see, it, sh I it should give it should give you an option to sign in via Gmail, and that's okay. Okay. Yep. 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 I see that. So I'll use that. Um, did you change anything in your research tactics this week? You know, I did change a little bit when it came to, I shouldn't say change. I did a little bit more in-depth breakdown when it comes to looking with their schedule. Uh, I think where I was last time when I looked at analysts. Schedule is the, important. Yeah, the, the issue with all these analysts I'm looking at is everyone's putting best possible in terms of like, hey, if everything matches up, but they're treating that as a reality rather than a, here's a realistic, okay, this could happen, this happen. Obviously, you know, there's a, you know, game and a half buffer in predictions, but mm -hmm. giving a more realistic approach based off their uh, interactions with their draft class. Uh, I did include it. Unfortunately, uh, when we changed from PowerPoint over to this, I lost the uh, grades, but I did, I, I do have grades for each team based off their off season okay. performance and their draft grade. Uh, oh, we can we, we have enough knowledge where we can uh yeah and we can just check your phone real quick by the way yeah yeah phone. You i will check it sent to you. yes perfect um and i need that code uh, otherwise i'm not getting in and showing our glorious are you audience afraid? yeah i'm ready two seven, two seven one six zero two. two that is not a password folks that is just it's a not. google security code so Ooh. don't even try it don't even try it that's not a pin number that's not that's not anybody's iphone screen log ah, whatever let's try this out beautiful dot a let's yeah, see what yeah. kind of viruses are being uploaded onto my yeah, laptop exactly <laughs> so yeah the whole no, the is... whole plan the whole exactly. plan he's got spyware um oh this is great stuff okay. yeah let's, so it's a little bit a little bit nicer and so you can go to share screen. Mode. there you go it's called share screen. <laughs> yeah. Let's do this. Yeah. All right. There you go. So, yeah. um, and you, 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 ASC you, West breakdown. He's got you can hit the present button. Yeah, did I hit it? Present button. Which one? In the, in the middle. It's the one to play. Where it says. There, yep, right there. So if you click that, um, you should be able to do that. There you go. Look at those ugly, ugly, yeah. ugly colors right there. You, you want to put some AFC. AFC or uh, excuse me, Kansas City Chiefs up there. Yeah. By the way, what's the uh, um, is it like F or something where you uh, this top part? Oh, uh, yeah, F11. Um, F11. Yeah, you should be able to get rid of that. Uh, if not, yeah. Yep. That's what we're looking for, folks. There we Look go. Look at that. This is what you see now. We got a little PowerPoint presentation. I feel like. Yes, sir. There we go. Let's go. Kansas City Chiefs, the best yeah. team in the AFC West, hands down, Super Bowl champion. Blah blah. Let's make this one quick, please. Yeah, you I know do. there wasn't a lot there when you were, when you're a Super Bowl winning team, you're gonna lose some people, lose starters. You see, obviously they lost three huge starters and a couple of rotational guys in here. Uh, that's just typical Super Bowl team. They didn't offer any really huge big signs, big trades. Uh, you know, their biggest one's going to be a $1.4 million deal to plug and play offensive tackle with Mike Remmers. Uh, the real excitement for them didn't come through their acquisitions in terms of the retainment. Obviously, you have the mega $45 million year deal with 
Patrick Mahomes, you creep Chris Jones. Like, that's your offseason right there. You could have no draft picks. You could lose all these guys. Don't sign anyone else. You kept your MVP, future Hall of Fame quarterback, probably one of the, if not the best defensive tackle in the game right now in Chris Jones for mega deals. You're done. You won the offseason. Go win another Super Bowl. <laughs> like, that's, that, that was that's Kansas City's right. goal. That was Kansas City's goal going into the season. And for them, that they, they achieved it. And so you get a couple guys, you know, Ricky Seal Jones. He was a fantasy football two tight end, uh, you know, two years ago. Now he's in offense that likes to utilize and spread. You're not going to get a lot of chance with Travis Kelsey. But, you know, if you're, you're no, he's going to get 10 snaps a game. So there's a possibility there. Uh, I on, think they're Clyde in. Clyde Edwards, terrific. Yeah. Clyde, Clyde Edwards. That was probably their home run that wasn't uh, re-signing. And if you and you go to the next page, you can see with their draft class on uh, what that looks like. They had a you know several good picks here. Uh, obviously, we talked about what that defense how, did last how, year. How early are you drafting Clyde Edwards in fantasy? You know, that's a great question. Uh, you, you, it really depends your league. If you're in a PPR league, which is one that's going to be based off more with your receptions, carries, it's going to be less on how much do they score and how much do they touch the ball. Uh, Clyde Edwards is not going to be a guy that touches the ball 20 times a game. I'm sorry. Like, he, he's in a really good no. system. No, he's not. He, you know, there might be a no. game or two where he breaks it. But you look at Kansas City's offense. I'm taking I'm, – I'm, I'm writing that down. He's yeah. not a 20-touch guy. He's not. Really? He, he can be. I'm not saying he doesn't have the caliber. I'm saying that's Kansas City's offense. Name one receiver oh, that had. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that is not that he's not that player. It's that you look at the offensive system. Obviously, Mahomes is going to touch the ball every time. But you look at even with Williams, he had on average, I believe it was like 16 to 18 carries a game. Now, obviously, there's games where you change it. You know how many possessions you have for Kansas City. They, you know, because of their who, pace who of the score. Running backs. Who are the Chiefs? Uh, the running Chiefs running backs. backs uh, you have recently, Clyde Edwards Lear. No, recently, I mean, recently. Uh, last Williams, couple of years. LaShawn McCoy, uh, uh, Melvin Gore. No, not Melvin. Jamal Charles. Uh, who was the year Hunt, Jamal Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt, that's who it is. Uh, he, was after, okay. he was right after Charles. Was Kareem, was, Kareem Hunt was definitely a 20-touch guy. Oh, yeah. Charles, so, came, yeah, Chan, yeah. Charles came before Kareem Hunt. Charles really, was a 20-25. Yeah, really Hunt was a 20-25 guy. Um, now you go to this offensive system. Okay, you're having – you know, because of how fast they, they want, score. they want a guy, they want a guy that they can give yeah, 20, 25. They do. They don't want to. And, and now Damian Williams is gone. Yep. So, yeah. So, all right. So check it out. All right. I got, I got some scenarios here. Um, I'm in a three running back lead league. I'm really thinking about taking Clyde Edwards uh, first two rounds um, for sure. Like I, I think I could pick. Um, I think I, I could, uh, I'm good with taking him in the second round if he's there. Because yeah. so it's it's a it's a three running back lead, three starting running backs. It's an awful lead. I, I hate it. I hate the lead, but it's ball. Well, you get so much money. It's a um, yeah. a, a big big pot there. So uh, it's a, the the pay yeah. huge. Um, second round for sure. Yeah, you look at. I think he's going to be the type of guy who will have the fantasy impact even a little bit more so than a guy like Josh Jacobs did last year as a rookie, yeah. where he just oh, came sure. onto the scene, the score, the thing that's coming. Okay, because of their rate and play, they're going to have you know fifty offensive snaps, you know, a game in terms of. Okay, so if you're saying you're going to pass the ball thirty times, now he is a threat out of the backfield. In fact, I'd say at LSU he's a bigger threat. So yeah, so he was a solid guy. Uh, another guy that we skipped over but covering real quick is Willie Gay. He's a guy you look at Kansas City's defense. Defense. I mean, you know, there, there wasn't anything there. That was probably their weakest position as a linebacker. Willie Gay is going to be a plug-in starter. So their draft class was a solid B-plus for me. You know, you got two starters right away. The rest of the guys, training camp bodies. 
So decent draft class. Yeah. Last thing about Clyde. Uh, Andy Reid said he's better than Brian Westbrook because somebody compared him to that, and he said he's better than Brian Westbrook. Yeah, he. You look at the, how the running back game is adopted. He Brian Westbrook. Brian Westbrook was he was he was a bucket. He was a power guy. <laughs> he was super strong. But Westbrook didn't hit in terms of when he hit the hole. He was a hard runner. But mm-hmm. Clyde has that, you know, fast, explosive stuff. You look at how he comes out of the backfield with wheel like routes. Austin sweet. Eckler? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. I was seeing from him. A little short, just extremely explosive guy. Exactly. Um, and both of those guys are going to have, you know, they're, they, they're going to have to be the workhorses. Austin exactly. Eckler has an opportunity now to be the workhorse. Um, he did it in the first few weeks, but we haven't seen it in a full season yet. We'll get yeah. to that. Exactly. Um, toughest be stretch in the schedule. Uh, yeah, you look at eleven to fifteen. That's, yeah, you look, that's your toughest. That's your toughest. Yeah, oh, I, wait, I would, is it is it descending or their first game? Yeah, is, that's descending. First game's Houston. Then they're at the Chargers. Yeah. They're at Baltimore. You know that that is a tough stretch in terms, of especially that game against Baltimore. The reason why I did this is coming off a bye. You look at that team. For most teams that go to the Super Bowl, you have a four to six game win streak near the middle of the season or after your bye. And so you yeah. look at that bye, okay, right at the Panthers, then what you go, okay, you're t- at Vegas, at Tampa. You know, those are looking at this point in the system, okay, they're going to be winning, but you, yeah. you know, you solidify those wins, you set yourself up to really go on a pace for the end of the season. Uh, yeah. Obviously, you look at that during a, your five games, you have four road games. That's really tough. No doubt. Um, you Team MVP, obviously, Patrick yeah. Mahomes. Uh, we talked about Willie Gay. And Clyde Edwards already. Tell me about Nicole Hardman, one of my Nicole, favorite Madden players to play with. Oh yeah, oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think you just described him by describing him as a Madden player. For those that, those that play it, you know, you want a guy who's going to be versatile. He has that speed. You can go. You can do your fly sweep, your motion. I think similarly. Okay, you have Tyreek Hill. He's going to draw the safety nine out of ten snaps. You're going to want to cover it with with uh, Kelsey. Who's going to be that second option? I, I you know the reason why I brought both of them up is who's going to be that third guy that can take the fifteen. 10 to 15 touches a game. And Nicole Hardman is a guy where you see his special teams impact. He can return the ball, his speed, his versatility. You can play him at X, Y, Z. You know, he's not the most prolific, you know, he's going to break away with his routes, but he's just He'll easily take, the ball. take over Watkins, especially when Watkins oh, yeah. gets injured. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> as soon as Watkins is injured, Nicole is taken over. Yeah. So I um, think. Wait, are you telling me that I should be using fly sweeps and stuff in, in Madden? Are you telling me I'm a bad Madden player with Nicole Hardman? You know, I mean, I'm not going to bring it up because you, you've been in PBC for a while now, but, you know, it was a little weak, so. No, <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, Chiefs, 12-4, and four, Super, Bowl cha- uh, Super Bowl champions coming back. They're going to try to repeat. They have everything that they need back, yeah. and uh, they're scared. Yeah. Oh, wow, sure. did I do that? Yep. Oh, I did do that. Okay, cool. Um, Denver Broncos, let's talk about their acquisitions and departures. Yeah. Gordon Casey, uh, Boye. Boye, Graham Glass, they, they got they, that's a nice offseason. Jerry Judy, yeah. KJ Hamler, you got them. They're not bolded, but that's because of free agency. Yeah, um, you look at you look but, starters uh, last year. The uh bully, these guys were their starters last year. Yeah. Uh yeah, it was it was a huge. I mean, you think of the Denver Broncos, okay, you had a little bit of an off year. 
the division got you know competitive. The Chargers obviously losing Phil Rivers is tough. Bad quarterback but, play. Yeah, you know, two three years, this division's going to be or, you know up there with the NFC West as a t- one of the toughest divisions. So mm-hmm. they went out there, obviously bringing up, ensuring the defense with getting a guy like Jarrell Casey. Got trade for AJ Boye. They traded for the safety, and so you bring those guys in. You bring in Melvin Gordon, who is a proven you know backup starter quality running back. He actually probably him and Lindsey will fight. I actually think Melvin Gordon has the inside track with being able to be more three down back than Lindsay is. So I think that was a great huge. And then obviously we'll get to the draft class and later, but Graham yeah. Glasgow, obviously he was probably the right biggest, player. he was a four year, 44 million. You know, you don't go out and make a signing like that without saying, Hey, no, we're here to compete. Uh, obviously you look, okay, the Flacco era, that was just more for a fill-in year than what they were mm-hmm. thinking. Uh, you talk about with what they're trying to do with Drew Locke, and they think that he's the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you go in, you ensure your offensive line, then you go to this draft class. Uh, yeah, this was this – was, Get some th- weapons, get some yeah, offensive linemen. I think, I think this was Boy, a huge hit for – uh, yeah, I think I think uh, LOA had a huge hit. The with tight end too. Jeez. Yeah. I forgot I forgot they grabbed him. That's why they uh that's why they mm-hmm. let uh what's his name go? Jeff Hierman. Jeff Hierman, um, yeah. They, they, this guy, uh this guy from Missouri came in and just started yeah. stealing all his snaps probably. So you got yeah. Noah Font and this guy. Um, exactly. So they have a really AJ solid Hamlet, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton. That's disgusting, bro. It is. You look at the weapons they have now. You have four or five, and then you talk about running backs. Okay, Lindsey's third down. You got got Royce Freeman in there, too. He's going to get some snaps. So you have the weapons. You have the ability to make the game simple for Locke. Obviously, uh, you mentioned with Albert. uh, I think one of the biggest things that's not talked about is this guy, Lloyd Cushenberry, center for LSU. You look at LSU's offense. We talked about Damian Lewis last year and what I think is the best offensive interior lineman for LSU. Well, right up there, the best center in college football last year was this guy, Lloyd Cushenberry. So you you see what that means. Okay, for a third-round pick, you got your – star center for the future like this was a solid class so, so, uh, for I mean, Denver. the broncos are like when i look at it they're one of the deepest on offense mm-hmm. in uh in the afc west like you said they have three running backs yeah. uh they're wide receivers they have three starters uh tim patrick is a big body mm-hmm. um deshaun hamilton also sure hands fast guy um and uh yeah so they got they got Five receivers, you know, five receivers they can rotate. Three, three running backs they can rotate. Um, a, a solid offensive line now with Garrett Bowles getting uh, getting better. Dalton Risner, good guard, um, best center in uh, college football. Really nice guard signing. Demar Dotson is a solid right tackle too. Not the best offensive line, but it's middle of the pack and good enough. Um, yeah. it's all on Drew Locke, is it not? You know, I think that's where you get a guy, okay, entering their sophomore year, you rested them. I think the same thing with how Chargers are going to use uh, Herbert this year. You wanted him to sit back last year, learn a lot of what the locker room's like, what the NFL is like, and now you have, okay, Drew, this is your year. Now, they said in sense, okay, they don't expect to win a Super Bowl year. This isn't, hey, we're all in for the Super Bowl this year. This is, hey, we're coming in to compete. We're going to show that we have what it takes to stick with Kansas City, you know, the goal for them. Make, yeah, make, make the wild card, make, especially with a seven-team playoff this year. So I think for them, it's showing, hey, we want to build towards 
next year being the Super Bowl year, not necessarily this year. But yeah, you know, okay, Drew, are you our guy, or do we need to go and make a trade for a play for a quarterback next year? Do we need to bring in a guy like Aaron Rodgers? You know, you think back to about what happened mm-hmm. with uh, Peyton no. Manning coming from Indianapolis. You know, this, you know, Elway, you know, Elway saying, hey, if Drew doesn't work, I'm getting Aaron Rodgers next year. So right. that's, you look at, the, that's what this draft was. And I think for them, you'll, you'll see indicated, a lot of people are really high on them when you look at their schedule. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm not too much because, again, it's a, okay, how much can Drew pick up on the offense? Obviously, you're trying to make it simple for him, but he's still the one running it now. It's not Flacco. It's not a veteran guy. So you look at their schedule with, you know, their road games bunched up together. Uh, it's tough to win two road games in a row. You're going to split a lot of them. Sometimes you're not going to win either of them. So a lot of them, you look at that week 12 mark where, okay, you're against the Saints. You look at plenty of, you know, Super Bowl contender. You look mm-hmm. at Kansas City, Super Bowl contender. Carolina, you know, it's that second back on a road game, two weeks on the road. Well, that's tough. And then yeah. Buffalo, another across, French. Across the country like that. Exactly. So that's going to be a tough stretch for them. However, I'll say this. If they can split that series, they could win a wild card game. Or get into the wild I, card. I got I, I to disagree with your, uh, with your um, players, though, that you have on this side here. Um, yeah. Defense the most important, yes. You could say Bradley Chubb. Offense the most important it can't be no fine like I just I don't think he's going to be their best tight I don't think he's their best tight end I think he's going to take over um I think he's going to take steal touches um what do you see yeah so I'll go I'll start with the team MVP and break it down the reason why I did this and looking at this it was a coin flip for me between you know you could really substitute Chubb and Von Miller because the end of the day it's going to be based on both of them Von, uh, starting with Chubb though, this guy, they were hugely high on him out of North Carolina State. I actually thought it was a steal of a pick. I think this guy has a chance to be an all proler with the right season. The reason why I put as the team MVP, if he really shows and all the potential goes onto the field this year, he's going to be in pro bowler. He's going to be leading the team to help push them towards a wild card spot. On the yeah. flip side, if he, as a rookie. if he doesn't step up, then the, the team's not going anywhere. So the reason why team MVPs to me is I think he's the most important guy because the reason for that is the defensive MP, Von Miller. You know what Von Miller's going to do. You know, it's still coming for him. You know, he's getting older. How hard is he working? So for me, it's going to be, okay, if Von Miller's going to get the attention, can Chubb take advantage of it? Can this two-headed monster really go? So I think Chubb has a little bit more in him to produce. Um, like you, you said, he had 12 sacks as rookie season. You know, I, I, I don't think it's unrealistic to see him having 14, 15, 16 sacks this year. Uh, and to me, because this Denver team is going to be missing the playoffs to me, I think that's why I put him as team MVP because I don't think anyone on the offense is going to be uh, a star. I don't think Locke is going to throw star numbers. I don't think the running game is going to be solid. So that's why I'm now moving to my most important offensive player, Noah Fant. They drafted him early. You know, you had the chance for his teammate, uh, TJ Hawkerson, who went to Detroit. You had a couple other options, but they went for Fant. The reason why they went for Fant is the same thing when you saw a lot of Jimmy Graham coming out. Jimmy Graham was this wide frame guy who had speed. I mean, for tight end, he probably is top five fastest in the NFL. So you can use him as a, a wide receiver or a tight end. You know, he needs to get better at blocking, but the fact that he can catch the ball when you see a wide receiver or tight end going out there for them, it's a lot over here. It's right here. This is where they need to catch it for Fant, He can catch over here. He can catch over here. He can bring out, he, you know, so I think his catch radius is so versatile and that's something that's not talked about as a tight end. It's okay. Can you block and can you make your, you know, 
uh, touch, you know, your, your, your security blanket for your quarterback. You know, fans on a security blanket. He's going to lead, in my opinion, and I know a lot of people are different, but from what I saw from him, he's going to lead the team in touchdowns and catches this season. Wow. That's, that's my opinion. I think you look at with the guys they have, obviously with Judy and Hamler, those are rookies. There's going to be learning curves, their speed to the outside. I think Fant's going to be their most consistent receiver. Wow. Wow. Especially Cortland Sutton there. Um, man, you're high on Noah Font. I'm, uh, I'm not yeah. as high on him. I think he's a good tight end. Uh, we'll see. It. But if he needs to be drafted, um, show, all right, fantasy implications. Uh, the top three tight ends are Zach Ertz, George Kittle, uh, and um, Travis Kelsey. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. Top three tight ends. You draft them in the first two, three rounds. Yeah. Where are you drafting Noah Font? You know, I think, and I was just talking about this uh, with my friend, there's really three layers for when it comes to tight ends. Uh, right now you have those top three, like you mentioned, those are your first round, second round picks. If you're in a yep. deep draft, you take them. Then your next, you're more balanced. Hey, they're going to be, you know, they're going to get, you look at, you know, eight, eight to 12 catches range a game. Your, your safe mark are your Mark Andrews, your Hayden Hurst and your Jack Doyles. You look okay. At how... Whoa, wait, hold on. Hayden Hurst. I'm not hearing the Hayden Hurst thing, man. Yeah, He's been I... injury prone. I'm not putting him in that category. He's in the, um, He's still like T. He's still in the TJ Hawk. I'm putting in with TJ Hawkinson, which is yeah. He showed well, that he, fair, he was injury yeah. prone and he needs if, touches, if, but he has to be healthy. If healthy, but you look at how Atlanta likes to use their Will offense Disley. with the play action over the middle. Same thing with Disley. I think Hayden Hurst can be a Will Disley in Atlanta's offense. You look at what just happened with uh, the guy left that just went to Cleveland. You know, Austin Hooper. Austin Hooper, huge year for him last year. I think Hayden Hurst has that potential to fill in that void because I think as good as Hooper was, I think it was the system as well. Uh, that was so the first that, time they utilized their tight end really well exactly. since, uh, since Tony Gonzalez. Yep. Hooper's always been there um, a little bit. Uh, you know, he's had some good red zone threat, but he was never really yep. a move the chains guy, and he became that. Yeah, and so I think with Noah Fan, I – I put him in my boomer bus picks, which is okay. Evan Ingram, TJ Hawkinson, and Noah Fan. They're going to be the guys where you look at week-to-week points per game type of thing. They might be a little bit less than the three guys I just mentioned, but they're going to be the ones that have the every you know every three or fourth game. They're going to have a twenty-point outing. They're going to have a two-touchdown really, game. I really hate uh, fantasy football. <laughs> yeah, you know it's I tough sometimes. Uh, Los Angeles Chargers. Yeah, here we go. Um, I think they're the worst team in this division, hands down, man. Uh, I just they they they're adding a bunch of old guys. They added a bunch of old guys on their uh, you know from their acquisitions. I don't like their quarterback. Um, Austin Eckler will have numbers, but um, I'm worried that people that teams are going to key on him a little bit yeah. um, because of the fact that uh, J- Justin Herbert is a rookie. Um, I mean, Tyrod Taylor is the starter right now. So they might uh, they might hold off on Herbert. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big fan of this Chargers team. I'm not a big fan of the coaching staff, and uh, I just think they're the worst in this division. Yeah, I think I think where you said the most important part was just the coaching staff and lack to show development. Uh, this team actually has a lot of potential, and I, that's why I think we'll, we'll get to it when they're with loss record. Tyrod Taylor's only two years away removed from being a Pro Bowl quarterback, mm-hmm. so he's I think accurate. he's yeah. he's accurate. He doesn't turn the ball over, but he I doesn't. Think, I, he doesn't 
He's, yeah. he's just a Teddy Bridgewater. Exactly. So I, and so I think for him, like, okay, it's not going to be bad, but it's not going to be, like you said, I, th- I actually think he's, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe I won't say this to Raider fans. I actually think this year I might take Tyrod Taylor over Derek Carr. Uh, just because you look at their offensive weapons. You mentioned Austin Elker, one of the probably better running backs in the AFC East, West, I mean. And then you look at Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. Those two are one of the better dynamic duels wide receivers in terms of flexibility. You can literally interswap them with X, Y, or Z. KJ Hill, you bring in a guy like him at slot. They got weapons, Hunter Henry. Uh, so I think they have the potential. Darren Waller, we forgot about him on the Darren, uh, mm-hmm. with Travis Kelsey and uh, and uh, George Kittle, by the way. We'll yeah, that's him. right. Yeah, so I think I think looking at that, it's I, I they have the potential. I don't think they'll turn in. You look at their acquisitions this year, bringing in Chris Harris from Denver, obviously a huge starting caliber. Uh, Misa in the chat was talking about the San Diego secondary. San Diego secondary is probably one of the better ones in the NFL. I probably put would put them in the top ten, maybe not quite the top five, but uh, they're pretty good. Then going back and looking to it, uh, Lineville Joseph. Huge defensive tackle get Brian Bolga obviously beat out Seattle and getting Bolga at starting right tackle. The offensive line's pretty set. Trey Turner, rotational guy. Nick Vigil, rotational linebacker. That's a decent offseason for them. Obviously losing Phil Rivers, the guy who's been the identity of your team for the last, you know, 40 years. Uh, going to the Colts, Travis Benjamin. We talked about him with the 49ers, what they're getting. Russell Kuhn, the, you know, guy they spent – broke the bank on to get him from Seattle left Javis Brown and Thomas Davis, who were big linebackers to them. They all left. So it's definitely one of those, okay, who's going to fill in the role, obviously getting into the draft, getting a I mean, huge. Well, basically for, oh, how do you, you can't go backwards from their acquisitions and their uh, losses. It seems pretty even to me. They have made no drastic improvements. Yeah, I think I think I think I think they traded very well in terms of losses to gains. And they were a four and twelve team last year. Yeah, so I think that what will make them a little bit better is that they the positions that they did ensure, uh, bringing in a guy like Kenneth Murray. He's their starting linebacker right away day one. Pairing him up with Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram, who won't be injured. You, I mentioned. Linville Joseph, you have obviously then that defense of Derwin James, Chris Harris Jr., um, Michael Davis, Casey Howard, Nazir Aldry. They have a decent secondary. Now you add in the linebackers, which were their weak spot. They had no one to go making tackles. Kenneth Murray's probably going to have over 100 tackles this year. So I think that that defense has improved. Where they lost a step is obviously with the offense. Um, Herbert, I don't think Herbert plays this year. I think with how the offseason's been, no preseason. Uh, you look at, I want to throw in, when he was a rookie at Oregon and against Washington, and there's yeah. starting quarterback, so. Cop. he just, he was having up and down here. They start Herbert. Washington wins the game 73-6. to six. They blow you know, out Oregon. I will, I would, I would encourage the Chargers to start Tyrod Taylor, have, go about three and eight probably, and then start Herbert on the last five, six games. Yeah, give him a couple games, get his feet wet. That's fine. Get a, get get to a five and 11, six and 10 record just to get you outside of Trevor Lawrence. Uh, yeah. ju- uh, Trevor Lawrence, uh, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, um, sweepstakes. Get them out of that. Um, 
and stick with Herbert for the next few years and just yeah. continue sucking. Um, another Good guy I'll starters. talk about really quick is someone, if you, especially for you, you're talking about your deep fantasy league, a three running back league, Joshua mm-hmm. Kelly. I think Joshua Kelly is going to be in a similar role to what Eckler was to um, Melvin Gordon. I think, think Joshua Justin Jackson is uh, – you think he's um, – I can't think of it. Justin Jackson, you think he's – Unimportant, basically. I don't want to say unimportant. I just want to say that with the Chargers are in a weird shape between trying to win and trying to rebuild. They're kind of, okay, you know, we're starting that rebuild process or reforming process. You know, is Herbert our guy going in? Uh, So I think with that, I think Jackson becomes expendable would be, I think, more appropriate in terms of, you know, yeah, we can use him, but we want to see what we have, which is why Joshua Kelly, you look at his impact at UCLA and how he carried the team the last couple of years, you know, a highly recruited prospect to a really piss poor team. Uh, I think he's a guy that has potential to step up. Um, we mentioned KJ Hill already. So if Herbert turns and blooms to what they hope they can be, this is a really solid draft class. Obviously if Herbert, you know, is a Joey Harrington, Mariota style, then, you know, it's whatever. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, that, I really that, hate this team. Chargers and UCLA players all over the freaking team. Yeah, and it's local. Right, this is. I hate the Chiefs, but man, this Chargers team might be my most hated team. Yeah, <laughs> let's look at their uh, toughest stretch weeks two to four, just to get out the jump. Yeah. Um they have Kansas City, Carolina, Tampa Bay, New Orleans. They're losing all four of those games. Yeah, you know, I think looking, it's a tough starting game. I think the Carolina is a coin flip right now just because it's going to be on how bad Carolina is this year. But I think you're absolutely right. There's no chance for Kansas City, no chance for Brady Bay and uh, New Orleans. Uh, You know, it's actually, you know, a decent stretch of Miami, Jacksonville, Vegas, Denver. That's a decent stretch there for them, you know, if they were going to be in. I, I, and like, you know, to all respect to ESPN and their analysts, I think they were way off with their win loss prediction saying that's charged to be 10 6. I think at best they're a 7 and 9 team. Um, and so oh. you look at, oh, you, you can hit, you always hit escape and stroll back if you need to. Escape. Yeah. And go back to the slide. Yeah, you can just clip forward. So, yeah, uh, going to, we talked about, What's going to carry them this year is their team MVP and Joey Bosa. Uh, we talked about oh, his brother with San Francisco um, last year. And I think Joey Bosa, again, he's going to be a Pro Bowl defensive end. He's going to be up there in terms of top three in sacks. So what's going to be carrying them is this defense. Uh, you know, I could have. Everyone James, I think. Had, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you got him at defense and most important, too. Yeah, you look at this guy. This guy's okay. You have your pass rush now, but now the anchor, of the defense, the guy who's going to be sideline to sideline and having to cover 20 yards of terrain, that's Derwin James. Uh, he showed a lot of that last year. I think he's underrated, and I think he actually is a top five safety in the NFL. Yeah. Derwin so, James is very similar to Jamal Adams. They have the yeah, same exactly. Skill very set. similar same model. Skills. They're, so they're, so, he's, they're so he's, smart, they do everything. Yeah, he's not quite as physical as Jamal, but he okay. definitely has the speed and uh, athleticism and ball hawk ability. Is Mike Williams going to get used? Yeah. Um, so I mean, Tyrod Taylor doesn't throw it deep, and unless Justin Herbert gets, uh, yeah, unless Justin Herbert gets under the under center, um, yeah. you know, there's not going to be a lot of uh, opportunities for Mike Williams uh, catching those uh, the, those sideline passes because Tyrod doesn't throw those. Philip Rivers takes chances, and Tyrod doesn't. 
Yeah. I think when you look at it, it's going to be, okay, they're going to cover over the middle and take away the slants and the easy routes with Hunter Henry and Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen's probably one of the better slant runners in the NFL. And so what you look at having this, I'm going to break down for if it's Tyrod Taylor, it's going to be the hook and the double move. On third down, Tyrod always takes a deep throw. He doesn't take the sideline, but he takes the deep throw. And so Keenan is obviously going to get most of the attention. So Mike Williams is going to get one-on-one. So I think Tyrod's going to take a lot of chances on Mike Williams for a one-on-one this year. And I think we'll see that. If it's Justin throwing the ball, again, same concept of Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Both those guys are going to be crucial to the development of Justin Herbert. So if you can have a secondary guy who can go out and make plays for you and make some of those, you know, errant throws catchables, I think Mike Williams is going to have to be that guy to do that for Justin. Uh, so Mike I think Williams is more so hard for fantasy. Uh, yeah, he had great numbers, but no touchdowns, and that was a killer. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's going to be how much can he convert. I think Henry and Allen are going to take away most of the attention. So I think that leaves a lot of one-on-one for Mike Williams to prove this year. No doubt. All right, we got 15 minutes left, so we got to fly by the Raiders a little bit, um, as well as the, the next four teams in the AFC South. Um, I, I do want to get those in. Uh, maybe we'll just run over a little bit more. But let's just get, keep going, keep trucking along, but uh, just yeah, find the time. Yeah, Let's do it. Okay. Uh, huge one gain Corey Leanton from uh, the Rams, huge person that was really the identity of their defense uh, in terms of their linebacker group. I think that's a huge get for Oakland. I'm surprised you don't have uh, the other linebacker we picked up. Nick uh, can't don't know his last name from the, from the Chicago bears. He'll be the weak side linebacker. I think yeah. those linebackers are important. And that's where I think, it, I, I, what I was viewing as is what predictions are for starters. And they okay. don't, you don't think he's starting. I, oh. I don't know yet. I, I look at the roster. I, I actually don't know what Gruden's going to do with okay. their defense. So I'm, yeah. I'm kind of waiting to see for them. But yeah, if, if he does start, I think he and Littleton will be a good duo. And I think they will have a solid linebacker duo because you look at with what they lost with Burfitch and Tariq Whitehead. So I think they just are good fill-in players. They didn't lose much with those two. No, <laughs> no they didn't. Uh, you know, I throw in, I personally think, I don't think Derek Carr will be the starting quarterback at the end of the year. I think he had a career year last year. I think he had a good, you know, I think he has, he, I, I don't know if he has it or not. Uh, I think Marcus Mariota is going to be able to come in when they're down on the record and give them a couple wins. I am a huge guy on Marcus. Oh, you're, you're, you're an yeah. Oregon fan though. I can't talk to you about this. Yeah. Stuff. So we'll <laughs> skip, skipping Mariota's potential. Obviously, Jason Witten, does he have everything left in the gas? He should be their starting tight end, though. Eli Apple, good corner. Carl Nassib, good linebacker they got. Uh, and, yeah, they didn't really lose much. So the issue is how much did they have in the first place uh, in terms of quality. Obviously, that draft class, Henry Ruggs, that pick surprised a lot of people. I actually think he's a really highly utilized. You think of a guy that their ceiling is Tyreek Hill and his uh, really he's the worst is going to be a poor man's Joey Galloway in terms of how they utilize him with speed return. Uh, I think he's going to be a guy though that, yeah. So I think, I think he's going to be a really good pick for them. If, if it works out with the quarterback situation, if it doesn't, obviously there's nothing you can do there. Uh, outside of that, though, I, this was a really weak draft class, in my opinion. Uh, I think Tanner Muse, uh, and I know, uh, he was a great linebacker from Clemson. Uh, I think he is someone that actually is a diamond in the rough and will be starting by the end of the really? year. Uh, he's a smart player. You look at how Davos Sweeney praised him. You had guys like Isaiah Simmons, whatever. Muse was one of his favorite defenders. Muse was one of the captains along with Simmons. So 
he was kind of the Robin to the Isaiah Simmons Batman. Uh, I think he'll be a huge get. Uh, they're hoping that, you know, Brian Edwards, he has to recover from a foot injury, but they think he could also be a guy. That dude is huge. Yeah. Brian Edwards is huge. I uh, I think he, I mean, he's, uh, uh, um, Derek Carr compared him to Devontae Adams and uh, Michael Crabtree. So, yeah. you know, it's fade it, routes. Fade routes, yeah. fade routes. Uh, there, over there's a lot again. of potential. It's going to be, can he stay healthy? He had injuries while at South Carolina. And then, yeah, can he produce? You know, Derek Carr cool. is uh, – you, you talked about Marcus Mariota, but Marcus Mariota cannot throw. Derek Carr is an excellent – has excellent precision uh, on his throws. Um, his thing is taking chances, taking actual – like taking deep passes, like throw the ball deep. But he didn't really have that many opportunities to. Yeah. Um, to do that. I don't think the schemes were, were good enough. Um, and he is, I've, I have not seen anybody throw precision beta routes better than him. He, for some reason, that is his throw. Um, yeah. He is able to throw it to that corner um, of the end zone or, um, you know, the sidelines. He has those throws. And yeah. Brian Edwards and Tyrell uh, and uh, Darren Waller are going to catch those. Yeah, you know, he actually reminded me this last year watching him as a couple years ago, Aaron Rodgers throwing the fade corner to Jimmy Graham or to uh, um, J- or Jordan Nelson. And so I think just seeing that, I think that's a potential. I think for him, it's not turning the ball over and mm-hmm. making the right decisions. I think he's a really poor decision maker, especially when he's pressured, checking down, throwing the ball to the middle field. Marcus Mario doesn't have a lot. strong arm. But Marcus is better for checking down, throwing your slants, throwing your RPOs. So I think that's why for that, if they get into a situation where if Carr doesn't perform, I think Marcus will replace him. But that's it, – it, I, I, it's a scenario. Uh, mm. You know, it'd be nice to see Carr succeed after one brother failed. The uh, uh, weeks two to six, like you said, very uh, – it, it is the toughest stretch. I think they lose so many – I think the season's going to start off really – really rough. Uh, I'm, I, I want to talk myself into a New England win, um, but I, I just don't see it. I think we're starting out two and uh, two and five here. One, two, I think we lose to the Buccaneers, Kansas City, um, New Orleans. Uh, I think those are for sure losses right there. Two and, yeah. uh, and then you got Buffalo, New England, Carolina. I think we start off with a win, but after that, it's going to be rough. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, think, I think they'll take Carolina. I don't think Carolina knows what they're doing yet with their offensive system so yeah he said great you win week one and then after that it's going to be a really tough stretch uh until they get to the middle of their season if they can you know get past after kansas city at a you know solid you know four wins then you could talk about being a wild card team but it's it's a tough stretch the last year the raiders were six and zero against non-playoff teams and then zero and four against playoff teams in their first 10 games after yeah. that, they were one in three against non-playoff teams and over two against uh, against playoff teams. Yes, yeah. or zero and three or something like that. Uh, eventually, they were uh, basically they were seven and uh, seven and three against uh, non-playoff teams and zero and six zero uh, and six against uh, playoff teams. Here we have uh, new, the Saints, Buffalo, Kansas City, Tampa Bay, um, Denver twice, um, Kansas City again. Um, and then you got the Colts. That's ten, uh, or uh, and Cleveland. That's, they might be a playoff team this year. And also Cleveland, you can put them yeah. on the edge there too. So nine games right there against uh, potential playoff teams, um, and then uh, and then seven games against non-playoff teams. Yeah, I mean, like you said, seven and nine record. That looks about right. 
Yeah, I think for them it's going to be obviously finding out either whoever is their quarterback, being able to make smart decisions, being able to run the offense. Obviously, Josh Jacobs, you talked about the impact he had last year as a rookie. He's only going to grow with that. He's going to get more carries, more touches. Uh, I think we'll see his production go up. I think there's going to be a little bit more of a focus on him, which is Mm -hmm. why the most important for them is whoever that quarterback is, being able to not turn over the ball and convert on third down because that's where Oakland struggled last year. When you look at their third down percentages, especially when, I mean, they could barely get the ball over middle field last year, some games. So the uh, team MVP right on, right on the point, like you said, offensive most important Derek Carr, the quarterback position is extremely important. If they get that going, definitely uh, more success. But defensive, Kylan Farrell, that's interesting, especially because I like Jonathan Abrams to be the more important guy. Yeah, I think Abrams might be the most do-it-all type of guy on the defender. The reason why I think Kylan Farrell will get that bump over him on my list is you look at what their hopes were for him for coming in last year. Obviously, he didn't meet them. This is going to be a real prove it this year. If he doesn't do it this year, he might not want to be on the team next year. Uh, I think this guy, though, has he had raw – pass rushing ability i think he you look at him i think this guy should easily be a 10 to 12 sack guy a year production i think this guy has that in him and you look at how oakland's defense going they're going to be on the field a lot this year uh and so i think breaking down with who their stars are you mentioned with abrams i think just looking at what they have to offer it's really going to be okay that defense Maurice Hurst's defense your cross, you know, who else is going to get the sacks this year? You know, Corey Littleman and Nick was you know, you have solid linebackers, but Farrell, Farrell is going to have to be the guy to get that potential. Obviously I think Randall and Abram are great with safety. Collins is very underrated. He's uh, one of the best uh, pass rushing defensive tackles. Yeah. He's definitely a really solid interior defensive lineman. Yeah. So it's going to be who on the edge can threaten you. I think that's how teams will play against Oakland this year. When you look at their offensive assignments on the O-line, protecting inside to out, outside to in, you know, now you have the linebackers to worry about. So you're really going to have to protect the middle that, you know, one, three and five gaps. So mm-hmm. it's going to be, okay, can Farrell take advantage of one-on-one matchups this year? Cause he's going to have a bunch of them. So just to go over the schedule real quick, just because it's the Raiders and I can do this easily. Um, I, uh, I'm looking at an eight and eight, nine and seven record. Uh, I got Carolina loss. Um, new, uh, or sorry, Carolina win. They start out one and zero. Then from there, they'll beat. Um, I think I think they beat New England actually, and go uh, two, and then they start out two and five. Um, after one, two, three, sorry, two and four, they'll start out two and four. After that, um, Cleveland. I'm expecting a loss there actually. Chargers, I think they beat them twice this year, um, bumping them up to a four and five. Um, Denver, I think they split that five and six record um, there. Uh, Atlanta, New York. Um, Atlanta, New York, Indianapolis, Miami. Um, those look like I'm, I'm looking at a three and one record there. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at a three and one record there, Miami, Indianapolis, New York. I'm thinking Atlanta is probably an L. Um, that's what I'm seeing. And then a loss to the Chiefs for that second game as well. So I'm looking at nine and seven, eight and eight for them. Yeah. So I think, I, I think that's a very like potential. They can get that. It's definitely going to be, like you said, the games against non-playoffs teams. Can they win those? 
no doubt. We'll do uh, AFC South next week um, since uh, we, we, we couldn't get that. We got we to gotta manage the time a little bit better, too. Mm-hmm. He's got so much information from this guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, apologies. <laughs> it's too much. Uh, but no problem. There, there's no apologies needed for uh, getting, getting information, especially when it's uh, the high quality that we're getting. Um, so, I mean, just to, just to finish off this, this division, um, we could we we could talk a, little, a couple other things. Uh, let's do, um, you know, I'd love to talk about my Raiders more. We talked we we talked about them pretty in depth. Um, who is it that I wanted? Drew Locke. That's who I wanted Drew to talk Locke, about yeah. that we didn't that we didn't talk about much. What do you yeah. see from Drew Locke? Because what I see, I want to know what you what, what you see from him. You know, it's and give t- a, give a player comparison too. Sorry. That's a good point. Who would I compare him to? Um, I'll let you think about it for a second, because I yeah. what I saw from from uh, Drew Luck was some really nice poise um, in his in his few games that he played against the Chiefs. Though um, that that was his roughest game. Um, they, you know, it's a better the best coaching staff that he played against. Um, so it was a it was a tough matchup for him. Tough team. They they forced them. They baited him into um, into bad throws. I think he threw three interceptions or two two interceptions, uh, but he but he showed poise um, as a as a rookie. He had two winning game winning drives already um, as a as a rookie, um, and uh, one of them was one of them was against the Texans, I believe. Uh, no, 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 that was that was the blow. It was against the Chargers. Oh, Chargers and the and the Broncos and, and the Raiders. That's who that's who he got his uh, game winning drives against. Um, Against Kansas City, he threw a threw a pick, but he completed forty five percent. It was just a very bad game because it was his best yeah. uh, best team that he played. Um, I saw I saw good arm strength. I saw um, I saw Derek Carr, um, Kirk Cousins, Dak yeah. Prescott. That's what I saw from this guy. I think he's a great combination. You could call it a rich guy, Jay Cutler, or a combination of Jay Cutler. And Prescott. I think that's a really good Prescott's a good name. The reason why I say Cutler is you look at his motion, his release point. He's a guy, he throws the ball, he throws the ball hard, fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. but he, sometimes he, too, too, too so, much. Yeah, sometimes too much. Uh, he loves to throw it deep. He tr- he's going to trust receivers. So I think uh, Cutler is a really good comparison for him. I think he's, at, but the reason why I say that rich man is I think he's actually a better decision maker than Cutler was. Uh, I really- I th- I'm really scared about the Broncos, and I think that Drew Locke is a is a sleeper, dark horse MVP. Like he yeah. can have a big second year with those weapons. Those weapons are yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, I think I think it wouldn't be out of the line to compare it to how Mahomes broke out his sophomore year in the NFL. Yeah. He sat out last year. He learned from Alex Smith. You know, Locke got to learn from Flacco, not just you know playing, you know, just take the year off, but he got to be in a locker room with a Super Bowl winning quarterback, learning how to read, how to analyze, how to make calls. And the question is, okay, how quickly does the game come for him? The pace, the system, the recognition. Uh, this offense relies on the quarterback being a good decision maker. The talent, there's no question. The talent is there. Uh, it's going to be the decision making and the mentality for Drew Locke, which you know he didn't have to do that a lot at Mizzou. Uh, you know he the potential you know against the bad teams they blew out against the good teams they just came up short. So I'm not sure in terms of comparison. I don't know what to expect in terms of I think the high line. I think he could be a little bit lower than Patrick Mahomes' stats his sophomore year. 
I think the Patrick low. Schirmer, what is the uh, what, what what oh sorry what's the low what's the low? The low I'd say the low is looking at uh, Johnny Manziel, Baker Mayfield oh, that rookie bad. level. Yeah. Okay. I think, so, so I, like yeah. twenty interceptions, like throwing, yeah. throwing twenty interceptions. Um, you know, 14, 15 touchdowns, that type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think he'll throw for a lot of yards. It's just going to be yeah. the turnovers is going to be the issue for him. Yeah. Pat Shermer, um, former New York Giants coach. What does Pat Shermer bring to the offense? What kind of what, – what, what are we seeing from him? Are we going to see um, more play action? Uh, I mean, they have three running backs um, that they can utilize, two power backs, one uh, change of pace guy, um, and, and they have – they're on their on their wide receiver position. They have speed. They have route running. They have physicalness from Cortland Sutton. Uh, Hamler is just so fast. Jerry yeah. Judy is a quick guy and a route runner. Mari Cooper type. What are we seeing? What are we got? What yeah. offense are we? Yeah, I think I think you look at the teams that uh, he coached for in the last couple of years. He's the offensive coordinator for Philly during from 2013 to 2016, uh, and then obviously he went from Philly to Minnesota. So you saw teams that love to pass the ball, that love to go shotgun West Coast offenses. So I think we're going to see a lot of the West Coast style offense. I think what they'll do is try to make Drew Locke look comfortable with playing the shotgun. I don't think they'll try to put him under center too much just because mm-hmm. it's too much to pick up, to visualize. We'll see a lot of the pistol. You know, We'll see some eye formation because you do have guys like a Philip Lindsay. Uh, like uh, yeah. Royce Freeman that you do want to you do you know every once in a while you do want to do power formation power football because that sets up your play action like you said with the tight ends they have they have options the idea for them is they want to spread the field and same similar to how we broke down Arizona they want to spread the field and create options for Drew Locke to just throw to uh, so I think definitely that's what we'll see for sure as, uh, yeah yeah Definitely won't be as complicated as uh, as the Cardinals' offense and Cliff Kingsbury, though. Yeah, no, uh, no, no, finally, no, it's gonna be simple. Finally, uh, division predictions. Uh, I'll go first. Chiefs. Um, yeah, twelve and four, thirteen and three looks about right. Uh, division champ, number one seed, um, number two seed. I'll give them because I think the, there's another team that will take that role. Um, uh, wild card. I got the Broncos. I think they're going ten and six. Um, this season, they just have great weapons. Um, they could go 11 and five too. I just think that they're the, the defensive mind of Vic Fangio is perfect for a Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. And then you got uh, you brought in a great offensive mind of Patrick Shermer to uh, a good offensive mind to take uh, take Drew Locke to new heights. No excuses. If Drew Locke is Brock Osweiler, then it is what it is, and they're going to go six and ten. But if he's uh, what I think he is, and that's a good quarterback, Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, he's going to go 10 and six. Um, finally, uh, you got the Raiders at nine and seven. Um, I'll be uh, generous to them because that's my team. I think that they show improvements and could sneak a wild card spot. And then uh, Chargers, I'm going six and 10 for that team. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's about right. I think you're going to see the Chargers. They're going to be there. They're going to tr- probably try and go after a guy like a Panay Sewell or uh, somewhere, maybe even a defensive weapon on the board next year early in the draft uh, and just try to give time to let Herbert learn the NFL, let him learn how to read. You don't want to rush it. They're not, this year's not for them. Uh, no. Oakland, Oakland, they're definitely going to be trying to be a wild card team. Uh, it's a really hot spot for Gruden, hot spot for Carr. Uh, so they're going to be giving it their all. They could be a sneaky, you know, they couldn't, they could be the seventh team, the wild card. Uh, I think you hit on the mark. I think Denver will be the five seed. 
uh, going in. I could see them having a really, you know, strong year, especially when we look at the AFC South. They're fairly weak this year. The uh, AFC North, they're fairly weak this year. Uh, the AFC East, it's kind of like, uh, all right, so it's going to be Buffalo or nothing. So it's 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 definitely, you know, Cleveland, I think, will be a wild card team, but there's no reason this Denver team should not be, unless you said, like, uh, a Brock Osweiler performance from Julak. No doubt. Great stuff from driving this week. Uh, we'll be back next week for uh, AFC South breakdown. Uh, might have to fit two, three. Yeah. We might have to fit three divisions in there next week. We'll get better at this every week, um, but the amount of information and, uh, and data we get from Dryden is perfect. Thank you, Dryden, again for the second hour of Larson Live and NFL Expertise. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Um, that's it for us. Be, thank you for joining me. This has been Larson Live, the Sports Perspective with Larson. Um, follow the YouTube page. Like I said, follow Spotify coming up next is let's talk about it. They'll be coming on very soon. We'll be back next week.